Hello, and welcome to the Stubborn Tortoise Podcast. I'm Donna Pazdera. Um, couple of things um, I wanted to talk to you about before we get into today's episode. <laughs> Some of you may think that I have like a lot of fancy recording equipment, which of course, if you are doing this, you know, in a professional manner, yeah, you probably would have a decent microphone, a decent recorder, some headphones. Um, this is a pretty bare bones operation. And um, I've told this to a few people and they laugh about it. And so I thought, well, I'll just share this with you. Um, it's kind of like when Toto pulls the curtain back from uh, Oz and he's back there working the levers <laughs> and it's just some guy. And that's kind of what this feels like. I actually record this sitting in my bedroom closet, don't laugh, with my iPhone and this uh, app called Voice Record Pro, which is a really nice app, and um, my laptop. And the reason I record it in my closet is not because I'm weird, but it's because, and I tell my students this because I teach this kind of stuff, the, the clothing actually serves as sort of like a sound buffer and, you know, so you're not getting echo because I have hardwood floors and sometimes it gets a little echoey. And this actually provides the, the right sort of uh, recording environment. And um, so maybe at some point, you know, if I ever make money doing this, uh, I'll go out and purchase some real equipment. And, um, you know, <laughs> especially if I have to start interviewing other people, because I've, I've decided I'm going to start interviewing other people for season two, which will probably be sometime next year. But <clears throat> yeah, I don't necessarily need to have people coming over and hanging out in my closet. It might be a little uncomfortable. Anyway, um, the other thing I was going to mention, um, I got a question. Woo! Um, my friend Juan, I uh, used to work with him. He was an intern when um, I worked at the Sun Sentinel uh, newspaper in Fort Lauderdale. Actually, I was working on their um, online division. I was actually a pioneer of online journalism years ago. Uh, and he was one of our interns back there. And, uh, and why I, I say back there is we were literally behind everybody in the newsroom. So we, you know, the way it was set up at that point, uh, this was in the late 90s, early 2000s, because uh, I quit in 2001. So uh, anyway, Juan is a non-runner. And uh, he asked, <laughs> so do people go right back to work after running 50 miles? And this also reminds me of just when when people do these hundred milers, the you know, first thing they're always asking people is, do you get to sleep? Do you eat? Do you, you know, I, I think they're picturing people like marathoners. Okay. And when you watch something like the Boston Marathon or, you know, Olympic events and things like that, I mean, that's just a different kind of world. Yeah, of course, in trail running, there are definitely people who, you know, don't stop running necessarily. I mean, some of them may hike, you know, up a hill or something, but, you know, I mean, there are, there are a few out there that, that actually can run the whole thing and God love them. But the, the majority of us mere mortals, uh, you know, yeah, we, um, we walk sometimes and definitely have to stop to eat. Okay. And, um, I'm going to talk about this in a future episode, but yeah, I did this, I attempted a hundred miler in December. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert! Didn't finish. Um, but 
that one was pretty unusual in that you actually could sleep if you wanted to because you got 55 hours to do as many laps as you wanted to. Um, and then actually I took advantage of that because um, I was getting kind of frustrated with my inability to, you know, make it to the 50 mile mark and what I wanted to do. And so it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to the hotel and sleep for a couple hours. And anyway, but on most races, um, say a 50 mile or hundred mile race, um, say 50 mile races, usually you get about 15 hours. Um, you know, there are some that might be a little shorter. Some might be a little longer. Uh, it just sort of depends on if there's a hundred miler, uh, also kind of woven into the fabric. So usually 100 mile races you get like 30 36 hours somewhere in that window i have known some people that have taken naps and um you know crawled into a tent and you know slept for a couple hours and then go back out and finish up me i don't know i could do that necessarily in a tent in the cold because i'd probably <laughs> get really super stiff and just be like forget it here's my chip um but anyway, yeah, so, yeah, we do go back to work. Um, yeah, we're really sore. In fact, I wish I could post this somewhere that you could see it. I have a really fun video of my friend Orly um, after he did 100 miles and he <laughs> he could barely move. And, you know, and most, yeah, most of us cannot, we're not moving real fast. We're, we're you know, I can remember after my first 50 miler, I was pretty stiff and, uh, it was funny because my friend and I, we were going to breakfast the next morning at some IHOP or it was like some place where it was like all these elderly people were, you know, eating there. And I, I kind of felt like one of them because I certainly wasn't moving very fast. But yeah, I mean, you eventually get rest and, you know, you get a massage, hopefully, or Epsom salt um, baths with hot water. Oh, the best. Um, that helps you recover as well. So um, but again, that, that was just a question that he asked me and yeah, I mean, you know, it sort of depends on when the race is. I mean, sometimes if you're lucky, you know, it might be over the holiday break, so you don't have to immediately go back to work. Um, you know, but I've known people that go right back to work on a Monday after, you know, finishing the race, you know, Sunday afternoon, you know, doing a hundred miles and, uh, can't say it's pretty and you certainly aren't going to want to take the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, so, yeah, so, yeah, we, we actually do stop and eat, you kind of have to, to stop and eat, um, and as I was mentioning with Snowdrop, that one's interesting, because they actually serve real food, like real meals at mealtime, and so they'll pretty much tell people, you know, hey, go on in the tent, you know, and, we, and they had food, you know, it was pizza, or, oh, God, I can't even remember what we had, you know, it just was, like, kind of a blur, but, yeah, it was, it was pretty special. And, um, you know, and, and winter races are nice because they'll serve soup or mashed potatoes with um, ramen broth on it. Oh, my God, it's the best. Just don't knock it. Coffee. <laughs> there are some aid stations, I'm told, that serve Fireball, um, you know, which probably in limited amounts is not a bad idea because it does sort of relax you and warm you up, you know. So there's that. I mean, again, you don't want to... <laughs> You certainly don't want to go out there and get trashed and try to, you know, cover some terrain that's rocky and rooty and whatnot, because you're probably going to end up getting hurt. But anyway, that's that was just my couple little things I wanted to get out of the way. 
So today's episode is called Every Moment's a Little Bit Later. Actually, this is a line from a Wilco song. Uh, um, it's a song called Pot Kettle Black by Wilco um, off of their incredible album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which is probably like their white album. I, I know I'm digressing again, but um, it's a really great song. And I that that line always has stayed with me as um as again one of my <laughs> i have a few mottos in my my life but uh, yeah that's one of them and um This one, this one's kind of a sobering topic, um, because about five years ago, four or five years ago, let me look again, because I always forget my dates, and in 2015, I became aware of my own mortality. For decades, I was dimly aware that one day I will no longer inhabit this universe, but took the days for granted. And then came a bunch of doctor appointments throughout the summer. A routine checkup spiraled into tests and an ultrasound on my thyroid. And I was startled my doctor didn't give me the old everything looks fine news that I was expecting. You should probably just have it removed, my doctor said in a casual yet stern voice. Do you have a surgeon? I went numb. A what? And although I'd been through this once before about six years earlier, I hadn't been particularly worried. And for years, I've had a lump on my neck, and depending on how I held, held my head, you might see it, you might not. The lump was the largest of a bunch of nodules on my thyroid. Most of the time, these are harmless entities that cling to a vital gland and do little of any consequence. In my case, though, they'd grown to the size that concerned my doctor. My thyroid hormone levels were fine. I felt fine. What was the fuss? <sighs> I sighed, and I took the name of a surgeon she recommended. My appointment wasn't until late September, early October. And then in that September, I did a 50K. This was the one where the course closed, but the race director uh, still let me finish getting my miles. And a photographer got a really nice picture of me running through this cave with a big smile. My friends loved the photo. I did too, except that I could see it, ruining my otherwise slim neck. The bulge of the nodule was prominent, probably only to me, but it reminded me of what was going on, and I grew to hate that photo. The thyroid is this butterfly-shaped gland that's pretty important. It regulates your hormones and metabolism. A lot of people, I've discovered, have problems with theirs. It's either too active or not active enough. And then there are people like me who have a normal function, but these pesky nodules slowly grow on there, clinging like barnacles to an old ship anchor. At least that's how I was imagining it. I called my sister and gave her the news, acting casual about it. Aren't you worried that you might gain weight? <laughs> it hadn't really occurred to me until she said it, and I did remember reading that people can gain weight once the thyroid is removed. This sent me into panic mode. As a teenager, I battled borderline anorexia and have dealt with occasional weight worries into adulthood. And the last thing you tell someone who has this sort of mentality is that they might gain weight and be unable to do anything about it. 
I went to internet forums about what happens after a total thyroidectomy. People, mainly women, talked of how they uncontrollably gained anywhere from 30 to 100 pounds. I almost fainted from worry. I googled celebrities who'd had thyroidectomies and was relieved to see that Sofia Vergara, Jennifer Grey from Dirty Dancing, and fitness dancing maven Brooke Burt Charvet uh, all had theirs removed and none of them were fat and miserable. I tried to stay optimistic when I went to see the surgeon, this guy with a waiting room full of elderly ambulatory patients. I felt terrified that this was my future. The surgeon came in, a quietly affable guy who wore cowboy boots. And he looked at the in-depth results of my ultrasound and said that I should have the thyroid removed. I explained that I'd had a biopsy on it a few years ago and that it was negative for cancer. He wasn't interested in retesting, just getting it out. He said that eventually the nodules would press against my windpipe, making it difficult to swallow. He explained that he did surgery on Tuesdays and Fridays. I'm doing a 50-mile race next month. Can I wait until after that, I asked, somehow alarmed by how real this was all becoming? He smiled and said that I could. He handed me a color comic book with the, the title, My Thyroid, which explained what the thyroid does. And for whatever reason, I felt slightly insulted by this. For weeks, I mulled over the whole scenario, terrified of losing something so vital. It's not like a tonsillectomy. Friends and colleagues were reassuring with stories of people they knew without a thyroid that they were doing fine. Others mentioned people who had crushing fatigue and weight gain. Well, how would this affect me, I wondered. I take pride in being known as energetic by my students, and I didn't want it to affect my running, the one thing that connected me to my closest friends. And I started questioning the surgeon's recommendation. Well, of course he wanted to take it out. He's a surgeon. So I decided I needed to talk to an expert, an endocrinologist. I talked to the wife of a colleague who had had her thyroid removed years ago. She was taking Synthroid and had no trouble with weight gain or fatigue, and she gave me the name of her uh, endocrinologist, and I made an appointment. I liked the endocrinologist. He was a quiet sort of fellow who took plenty of time to answer my questions. He said I'd need a needle biopsy and referred me to another surgeon. The second surgeon I liked immediately. He was an affable guy with a lovely, almost European-sounding accent who was from Mexico, and he had a sense of humor and got a kick out of the fact that I was going to run a 50-mile race. And the weeks that followed were a blur. After the needle biopsy, there's a CT scan and weekly doctor appointments that involve waiting for hours and hours. Bottom line, it would have to come out because eventually it would bother me. I scheduled the surgery for November 30th, nine days after my 50-miler at Wild Hair. I needed to accomplish that, and after that race, I'd have to see how it went. The surgery went very well. I wasn't supposed to go back to work for a week or more, but I felt okay despite having a hoarse voice. And, um, of course, that happened to be on the day that I taught from 1.30 to 7 p.m., and I could turn my head and drive. So I was back at work two days later, and the scar was barely noticeable. I didn't want to push it too much with running, although I tested it with short runs, and I felt pretty good. In less than two weeks after the surgery, I ran the McAllen Half Marathon, and I ran pretty well, albeit a few minutes slower than usual. I attribute that to not having any synthetic thyroid yet in my system. I was told that I can function with what was left for a few weeks, and I attributed some of that also to transitioning to a paleo diet. 
I had read on reputable websites that a paleo diet is good choice for people without thyroids because you're not eating too much sugar or bad carbs and processed food. And I have to admit, it makes race prep a challenge because you can't just have pasta or potatoes the day before a race. And now I'm embracing sweet potatoes, more vegetables, lean meats, and eggs. So I have to take a little Synthroid pill every morning before I get up. I try to wake up, take the pill, and just lie there to go back to sleep, or I'll check news and Facebook for a while, and after an hour, I can have my coffee and eat. So far, so good. I can tell my running seemed to suffer those first few weeks because my endurance was diminished, but I'm working on that. I joined Running 101, this local group that meets twice a week, in hopes of pushing myself in terms of getting my speed back and so I can improve. And um, so I, I kind of want to be a role model about this. Um, I won't downplay anything if it gets challenging, but I am convinced that I'm going to keep on living my life without fretting. Because you can't pick what's wrong with you. How you deal with it is what matters. And I can tell you that four years post-surgery... Um, I'm doing okay. I mean, I still have to take my, my little pill. Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and take it. Um, you know, uh, you know, I just, it's just like one of those things. It's like, you know, having asthma or something, you know, you just sort of know that it's something you're going to have to deal with the rest of your life. And it's, and again, luckily for me, um, you know, my weight didn't change. Um, you know, I feel fine. I'm, you know, <laughs> certainly didn't turn me into a faster runner, but, you know, it, it really didn't diminish things too badly either. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, for now, and I, I just had my, my uh, thyroid levels checked. I think I have to do that like once a year. And I'm still on the same dose of uh, Synthroid, which is this brand of, of synthetic thyroid um, that I've been on ever since the surgery. So, um, some people, you know, occasionally need to have it tweaked and I'm hoping that maybe I'm just one of those people that got lucky. And I mean, I feel very lucky that there was no cancer involved. You know, it, it's, it, it was certainly a sobering experience. Um, but again, it, it really wasn't nearly as dreadful and life-changing as I thought it might be. I guess I'm here to tell you that, you know, if you do go through that, I can't promise that, you know, you'll have the same results as I did, but, um, but do know that, you know, there are um, ways of coping. And I also have to say that I pretty much ditched the paleo diet after about six, eight months because I just got really tired of coming home, wanting to open up a bag of like tortilla chips or something. Um, because you can't really do a lot of processed food. I mean, it's not like I try to eat a lot of processed food, but um, yeah, I kind of got tired of it. So um I think it's a great way to eat. I mean, I do think it's a healthier way to eat, but it didn't quite work for me. I mean, it's kind of like I went vegetarian for about six months years ago, and then I got a job in Texas. So <laughs> I threw that out the window. I was like, there's no way I'm going to try to be a vegetarian living in Texas. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the way I look at, at eating is just to, you know, moderation and, you know, try to you know, eat as much whole food as possible. Um, yeah, of course, I like my chocolate and, you know, other stuff. But, you know, if you can kind of keep it pretty clean and um, healthy, you know, you can get away with it. And again, you know, you're if you're staying active, then it's extra, you know, extra credit. So, um, 
So anyway, that's what I've got today. Um, if you want to email me, I'm going to give you my email address because by God, I can't figure out how to get that thing to link on some of these um, websites that I'm uh, posting to or podcast uh, podcast sites because um, each one's just a little different platform. So my email is Donna Paz, D-O-N-N-A-P-A-Z at Gmail. Dot com. So yeah, drop me a line if you got a question, have a comment, whatever. So that's what I've got for you this time, or see you next time.